good morning. Hope you've had a happy Thanksgiving, and uh, it's good to be back. I've been on vacation, and, and uh, honestly, I was on vacation up till about eight, eight o'clock this morning. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm slowly easing back into into the groove. Psalm 100 and. Uh, 111 is where we're going to be today. I'll tell you, I've, those were great songs, beautiful songs, and uh, definitely for me, uh, captured a lot of what I've been thinking about and what's been stirring up in my heart. I've been digging around and, and thinking about the notion of Thanksgiving. Of course, I uh, appreciate John filling in for me last week, and uh, I'm going to be honest, I have no idea what he preached on. Does anybody know? Anybody know? I'm assuming it was something towards Thanksgiving, so I hope this is not the same sermon. And, uh, but, but it is that time to be thinking about giving thanks. And one of the questions I've been pondering, and haven't been real sure what I was going to preach about uh, today. Um, it's a bit of a hodgepodge, kind of like Thanksgiving dinner. Um, but one of the questions I've been pondering is, what should we do when we don't honestly feel very thankful? And I'm just going to put some cards out. I, I haven't felt very thankful this Thanksgiving, and I don't really know why. Um, I just haven't, haven't felt it, so to speak. Nothing uh, tremendous or, or, or anything way out of whack. I just, I'm just honestly saying I, I have not felt it, okay? And uh, um, I should feel it. So many things are good. I have so much to be thankful for, but again... What do you do? Do you, do, you, do you fake it when you're not really feeling it? Do you return and count your blessings and name them one by one and hope that that stirs up things in you? And, uh, you know, right before Thanksgiving, I went on a pheasant hunt, one of my favorite things in the world to do. We, we uh, uh, humanely harvested many birds, and it was a lot of fun. I got to take my dogs and spend time with great friends. We even got some of these uh, prairie, prairie chickens. And I don't know if you've ever eaten a prairie chicken. They are disgusting. All right. I, didn't, I did not harvest one of those. Some of my friends did because I've had them before. And um, so I was just, I was just, and they had never eaten them. And I was like, these things are disgusting. You need to wrap them in bacon, cook them, and then throw away the chicken and eat the bacon. That's what you need to do. That's about the only way it's fit. And so on Thanksgiving Day, uh, that set of friends, they texted me, said, hey, would you like to come over and eat prairie chicken for Thanksgiving? And I said, that would totally ruin Thanksgiving. That would dissipate every bit of gratitude I have in my life as soon as I took a bite of one of those dirty birds. And, I, you know, so anyway, um, how about this? What about a Thanksgiving meal where there's no pumpkin pie or pecan pie? Would that ruin it for you? How many, tell the truth, that would just shoot Thanksgiving? You people lie. You know you have certain things that that's just part of the gig. It's part of the tradition. And without it, I'm, so that was one of our things. We got a little worried our Thanksgiving we weren't going to have enough desserts. Thankfully we did, but we didn't have those two things. I was like, I just don't know if that's Thanksgiving. I tell you also, and so I, Y'all are doing therapy for me right now. I, you know, Thanksgiving, that, that night before, I didn't hardly sleep at all. And I woke up and I was, just being honest, really cranky. I was like this cranky zombie. And my wife, already by like 9.30, she's going, would you like a nap? Do you think you should lay down? And I actually did. And uh, I, was just, I was just cranky. And uh, I, I don't know why. I wasn't feeling 
thankful. What do you do on Thanksgiving Day when you wake up and you are not thankful? What do you do? Do you say, well, hopefully in 2022, I can be thankful. I can celebrate Thanksgiving. Or do you just go through the routine and you fake it? Do you hope that maybe somehow the circumstances change that are bothering you or whatever? Do you just take a nap? Hope you wake up thankful? What do you do? I don't know. I'm looking for answers here and and we're going to explore this just a little bit uh, today. Two basic schools of thought, I think, on this question of what do you do at Thanksgiving when you don't feel thankful. One school of thought, I heard this from Dr. David Jeremiah on the radio just maybe a week or two ago. And he said our feelings and emotions should not be the engine of the train. He said actually they're the caboose. So in other words, if you're not feeling thankful, if your circumstances, if if you could not sing that song and say all is well with me, He said, your feelings are out of whack. And basically, you know, that we have to let our will override our emotions or feelings and do the right things and go down the track, let our will drive it. So on Thanksgiving Day, you don't feel thankful, but you should express thanks. You should give thanks. And he says, what will basically happen is your emotions will follow in tow. All right, so David Jeremiah, one of my favorite preachers on the radio, you go, well, that sounds pretty good. Is that, is that true? And I begin to dig a little bit deeper. There's an author, uh, uh, James K.A. Smith, has written this cultural uh, liturgies trilogy of books, very instructive. I highly recommend James K.A. Smith stuff. He, he basically says the same thing. He says, you know, the practices and our habits and, the, and the, he calls them cultural litur- liturgies, the things that we do and participate in have this formative power. They shape who we are and they even shape our hearts and souls. So in that same vein as Dr. David Jeremiah, he says, do the right thing. Participate in the right activities, cultural liturgies, if you will. Give thanks, even if you don't feel thankful, and your heart will follow along. So James K.A. Smith, well-respected Christian uh, author and and researcher and teacher. I thought, you know, that that is true a lot of times. Our, Our habits and practices do form us and shape us. But then there's the other school of thought. And I think this is maybe maybe where Jesus would land a little bit mo- over in this other school of thought. And it's to say, don't be a hypocrite. Don't just go on doing external things, doing these things that everyone expects of you. Or, you know, the holiday comes and you just go ahead and participate in it, even though you're not thankful. I think that Jesus in general would call that hypocrisy, you know, and... and, and and say, if, if your heart is full of hate or discontent, lack of gratitude, lack of thanks, your heart's messed up. And really, you shouldn't just deal with things at a superficial level, you know, with your lips, but you should get to the heart issue. So that's maybe another school of thought that we could explore and kick around just a little bit. And uh, which is the right answer? I don't know. Maybe a little bit of both. Maybe there's truth in both. But I think a good answer is in Psalm 111. I think there are some things that help us. Maybe it's not a prescription, so to speak, but it's just some good spiritual helps. And in fact, that's what this psalm is. That's what really all the psalms are. They're these formative songs that the people of Israel would sing that would direct their hearts and their lips, direct their whole being back to God. 
Because when I don't feel thankful, it's no fun. But to go on persisting and acting like I do could be possibly very dangerous to my soul. So I want us to read Psalm 111 in its entirety and then come back. And I just want to point out a, a couple of things that I think are helps to us at Thanksgiving when we may not really feel thankful. Let's read it together. Psalm 111. It says, Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart in the company of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. Splendid and majestic is his work and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He has given food to those who fear him. He will remember his covenant forever. He has made known to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are truth and justice, and all his precepts are sure. They are upheld forever and ever. They are performed in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. The first thing that stands out in this psalm to me is the idea of the heart of thanksgiving or the heart at thanksgiving. Look at what it says there at the very beginning in verse 1. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. It's not just a superficial thing. It is an act that is to come from the heart, not just some perfunctory practice, not just some little traditional thing that we do once a year, but it is he envisions, I will be a person who is able to offer to God the praise and thanksgiving that he is due, that he deserves, that is good for me. We cannot downplay or ignore the condition of our hearts. The inner life. The heart represents in biblical terms the inner life. It's Really, it's the confluence of our thoughts, of our feelings, I think, of our will. It's all of these things coming together. I have a friend that likes to say this. The heart in the Bible is not your blood pumper. It's not your blood pump, right? It's the inner life. It is the hidden life, if you will. And yes, people can't often see it. They can see evidence of what's going on sometimes, but we feel it. And we're really prone to hide our true thoughts, our true inner person, our feelings and our emotions. But the heart in the Bible is so important. And I think that we should at least recognize that today. That Thanksgiving is not just a matter of the lips. It's not all about turkey and pecan pies and things like that. But it is a condition or should be the condition of our hearts. If you were being honest today, could you say that, that really, in this last week, that your heart is truly full of praise and thanksgiving to God? Or would you say, no, preacher, I'm like you. I've been a crank. <laughs> my, my heart's hurting. Maybe you're going through some things in your life and you've just not known how to process them. You're not sure where God is in the midst of all of these things. And you're struggling. 
could be physical things like a lack of sleep, tired, stress. All kinds of things play into shaping our hearts. I mean, I, t- I tell you what, our hearts are like little bitty ships, little fragile ships in an ocean. We have so much coming at us these days, so much coming before our eyes, so much coming into our ears, every interaction with a person, the things that we read, the things we listen to, the music on the radio, the things people say. Our hearts are, are you, are you there with this? Our hearts can even be totally capsized in a moment by a look from someone else. Is that true? Someone can look at you wrong and ruin your day. (laughs) Because you begin to think about, what was that all about? Does that person not like me? Have I made them mad? Why are they being such a jerk? I mean, well, you know, it's all of these things. And and, and before you know it, your heart is all messed up because someone looks at you crossways. Our hearts, I tell you, like a little boat in an ocean. And we need anchors. We need anchors for our hearts. We need constant redirection as our little ship gets off course, pointing the wrong direction. And thanksgiving and psalms like this and things like this, I think, are that. It's, it's firing up a motor and saying, or, or, or dropping an anchor. It's saying, let's get you in a safe place, the place where you need to be. So the heart really is at the center of thanksgiving. The second thing that I think we should know in this Psalm is not just the heart of thanksgiving, but the who of thanksgiving. There are in verse 1, if you will, three parties listed. And number one is I. I will give thanks. You know, it's, it's all great to be in a, in, in a room where people are really thankful. But what if you're just going, yeah, I'm not there. Honestly, that's not that much fun. <laughs> to not be able to participate and say from the heart, I am full of gratitude. And I can praise the Lord in my situation and in my life today. And so don't be content with sitting around and watching others be thankful. But what about you? Are you able to participate in Thanksgiving? That's the first who. You know, in school, did y'all ever get this deal? Where you, on Thanksgiving, you know, it's right before you let out for break. And the teacher's going, all right, we're going to go around the room. And everybody's going to tell one thing thing that they're thankful for. Have y'all ever done that? Have y'all done that lately? Don't you hate that? <laughs> I, I love it. You know, it's like, uh, you know, and you're sitting there and, and, and you're thankful that you're sitting on the back row. I get you back row Baptist, you know, I know there's a reason and you're in the back of the room and, and you're going, what am I going to say here? You're in fifth grade and you're going, what am I going to say here that impresses that girl over there that I like and I don't look like a goob? And, uh, uh, you know, and, 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 what, and then it comes to you and you don't know what you're going to say. And what do you say? Thankful for my family. What, what else? What, what's another one? What's another one y'all would say? Oh, yes, I'm thankful for my teacher because you're failing math and you want a good grade, right? So everybody, you know, this is, this is, a, this is a tough thing. But, but you want to be able to participate. All right, so I, I want to participate. But look at this. I will praise the Lord. I will give thanks from my heart to the Lord. Maybe sometimes we don't think about this. That thanks isn't just going out into space. But the idea of thanksgiving here is that there is a recipient of our thanks. And that is the Lord God, our creator. Uh, Dr. Al Mohler here recently wrote a piece Uh, called Gratitude Without Grace. How can thankfulness have any meaning without God? To whom 
are we thankful? So in other words, if you don't believe that God exists, ultimately, who are you aiming your thanks at? Well, you can thank your spouse for being a nice spouse. You can thank your kids for being well-behaved. You can thank your parents for the blessings. You can thank all kinds of people. But ultimately, this Thanksgiving is aimed at the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord. And so as I was pondering that, what Al Mohler wrote about, you know, if, if you're not aiming at, at God, who is the recipient? I began to watch and listen to people outside of the church and outside of the Christian realm and just watching who are they giving thanks to? And many times as I would read things that were, let's just call them secular, I would say, you know what? It actually looks like they're self-congratulatory. It's actually, they're thankful that they're so smart or they're so successful or whatever. Or again, it would just be to another person. But I would say that the highest thanks is to be to God. Did you know the Lord our God is the giver of all good gifts. It's wonderful that God's gifts often are mediated or come through another person. But ultimately, the Bible says that the Lord is the giver of all good gifts. 1 Corinthians, I think it's in 4 uh, verse 7, says this, What do you have that you did not receive? Have you ever thought about that? When you're prone to be pr proud or, or thankful for your good looks, well, you got those from your parents. Or plastic surgery or something like that, right? Or, or whatever. You know, you know, there are things that you received. I mean, there's almost nothing that was just from us. And ultimately, every good thing that we have comes from God. That's what the Bible teaches. And so, as we're thankful, let's not just thank the person through whom God used to bring a gift, but to be thankful to the Lord himself. I love this. What it says in James chapter 1. Every good and perfect gift is from above. From the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow or turning. I've been dwelling on that this week a little bit. Thinking, I thought about preaching from James chapter 1 about every good and perfect gift coming from above. And the idea of the Father of lights. Let's think about that. The Father of lights. Why does, I was thinking, why does James call him the Father of lights? And then he says, in whom there is no variation or shadow or turning. I think ultimately what he's saying is God only gives ultimately good gifts. Good gifts. How many of you kids enjoy getting um, underwear for Christmas? Or clothes or something like that. I heard some kids talking about that this week. They're going, clothes are never a good gift. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Clothes are a good gift. You know, you may not think so. But they really are. And now there's other gifts we would prefer. And I was thinking about this and how many times we have received from God things in our lives that we go, that's like getting a pair of underwear for Christmas. Just, uh, I mean, I mean, it's, it's, or I wish I didn't get that or get it. You know, God only gives good gifts. Even though there's many times we cannot see the goodness of the gift in the moment. And it says that God is the father of lights in whom there is no variation, shadow, or turning. God is not a prankster. I think God has a sense of humor. God is not mean. There is nothing that he brings into our life that he means to harm us when we belong to him. I think that's what that's getting at. And saying, you know, the things that God is bringing into our life, though at times they can be painful or feel disappointing, God is only a giver 
of good gifts. And the Bible teaches us that God is working all things out for our good. For the good of those who love him. And I think in a season where maybe we're not feeling very grateful. Or some really hard things have come into our lives. We do need to rest on the fact that God is only a giver of good gifts. Even those that initially might disappoint us. All right. So I is one of the who of thanksgiving, God. And then there is the assembly of the upright and the righteous. That is, God's people should participate in this act of thanksgiving. And I'll tell you, that's one of the great mercies of God is that he brings Christians into a family of God, into a local church, where there are many weeks that we could come in and say, I just don't know what I have to be thankful for. And we have a group of people that we should be able to be honest and say that to. We should be able to go into Sunday school classes or have coffee with people from the church. And honestly, I mean, the preacher should be willing to say, there are many times I just don't feel thankful. And there are other Christians, there are other people in our lives who maybe can look into our life and situation and say, you have so much to be thankful for. Or maybe this is how God is intending to use that situation in your life. Or maybe sometimes we just forget to be thankful and we come in and we meet a Christian person who we know is going through very difficult things and we look at their lives and they're just full of joy and gratitude and it shapes us. And so this act of thanksgiving is not just a solitary practice. It's not something that is just between us and God, but it is something that should go on in the congregation or the assembly of the upright of God's people. Now you can rest assured I'm not going to torture you today and go around and ask people to be listing what they're thankful for in here. But I do think that is a practice that we should do regularly. And listen, folks, we shouldn't be like that fifth grade student that's like, I don't know, I don't have anything. I think that in our lives we should be cultivating this practice such that we can come together with other people and we can practice giving thanks. So that is some of the who of thanksgiving. It is something that we should participate in individually, should be aimed at God, and it should be done in the assembly of the saints. But now, let's get to the how of thanksgiving. And then this is the last point, but a couple of things that I want to show you that help me and stand out to me as we think about the how of thanksgiving. Having admitted that our hearts are often really messed up, our hearts are not always in that place of gratitude and thankfulness. We have to admit that, first of all. We have to admit that we are that person who when pressed many times to answer, what are you thankful for? About the best we can do is go, well, I'm thankful for my family and my job. We need to learn where we can look to cultivate this thankfulness. Where do we look? Where do we go to find the things that should bring gratitude and thankfulness in our life. We were traveling this weekend down to Texarkana and we're driving through uh, where the exit to hope is at. And uh, Whitney and Isaac, Whitney asked Isaac, says, do you remember that time when dad and Emily were out of town and we came down uh, to dig diamonds? What's the, what's the place called in hope? The, the park? So they went down 
and made a little trip while, you know, Emily and I were serving the Lord and I think in, in uh, where were we at? Nicaragua on a mission, mission trip. They're off digging for riches. You know, no, no. That was, they didn't get to go on the trip, so they took a little trip together and they were going to go digging for diamonds. And Isaac is really one of these. He's got, he can, he can find anything. Eagle eye, and so, you know, Whitney takes him down there, and they're going to find the big Hope Diamond, and, you know, it's going to be a great deal. And they go down, and, and uh, they found Zip. And Isaac was like, that was a terrible deal. It was so hot. It was miserable because they went hoping to find diamonds, and they found, I think, nothing but dirt and sand, and it was really hot. And I think this psalm, and the psalms in general, are like a map, like a treasure map to help us to know where to look to find the diamonds of hope and gratitude and thankfulness. We need to know where to look and how to find it many times in our lives. I picked out three out of this psalm and really they're found all the way down through the psalm. Let me just give them to you, kind of recap and I'll show you some of where I got that from. First of all, I think where we look and find diamonds that produce in us this thankfulness and gratitude is in the epic works of God. In the epic works of God. Look, like that's in the verses 2 and 3. Great are the works of the Lord. They're studied by all who delight in them. Splendid and majestic is his work. The Bible is an epic story. It is the story of everything. It's the story of God. The creation, his planning of man and this world and all of the universe and how sin has come in. There's this great rebellion uh, in the heavenlies and it's fallen down to earth and man has been implicated and involved in this great rebellion and all that God is doing to restore a broken creation. It is an amazing story. Our culture today, we are fascinated with things like Avengers and all of these epic uh, uh, superhero, supernatural tales. We look at that. Those are nothing compared to what you will find in the true stories of the Bible. The stories, in, in, in fact, I use this verse uh, to introduce what we were doing on Wednesday nights for about the last month, which was going back and looking, and it says studying these epics epic works of God, these great and mighty things that God has done. And so we just went back and began studying the story of Noah and the flood and the ark. And we didn't do it with an eye towards, look at what a great boat builder Noah was. We looked at it from the viewpoint of, look at this great and amazing thing that God did to save mankind. In spite of all the wickedness and sin. And the fact is that we do need to study God's word. That is where we find how God has operated in all of the millennia before us. His works are awesome. They are hope-filled. They are memorable. And they are to be studied by those who delight in the Lord. If you want to know the way God operates in general, study the Bible. What you will find is that God does not always preserve people from hardship, but that he brings his people through things like a cataclysmic flood. He brings his children through the fires. We see how God works, and we come to know him and his greatness. And we find that we are in that story. 
and it situates our life and so we can better understand what God is doing in our life when we study the epic works of God that we find in the Bible. And of course, there is no more central and epic story than the story of Jesus who is the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament was pointing towards the Savior of the world. The one who came, born of a virgin, even in the little crib, manger, worshipped by angels, worshipped by shepherds and wise men as a little peasant baby, if you will. The Gospels are full of the story of the teachings and the miracles and the things that Jesus did to show and to prove that he is, in fact, the only Son of God, the one who has all wisdom and has the power to save. And surprisingly, instead of going directly to a throne, he goes to a cross. It shocks us. We thought this tale would end well. And we see Jesus dying on the cross. And we think the story's over. But three days later, Jesus is raised from the dead. What does the, they do now? It blows our minds. That there is this God-man who came and overcame the grave. Which ultimately is one of our greatest enemies. Death. Death has reigned since Adam. And in the second Adam, Jesus, death is overcome by the power of resurrection. And then we are told for all who believe on him, his death is sufficient to absorb the wrath of God, to pay for the penalty that we deserve for our sins. And all who turn to him will be saved saved from the wrath and condemnation that our sins deserve and will inherit eternal life, will be raised up out of the grave. What an amazing truth. A truth that we're invited into. Man, we learn all of that in the Bible. And really, that is one of the things that I think we need to focus on that I find in this passage. And that is we need to focus on eternal life eternal life over and over in this psalm and you can look and find them yourself but he talks about his covenant forever his covenant his promises the things that we inherit will last forever so often our our view of things is way too small we can only stare at today's problems we only look at the grim prognosis that is to come in a month or a year And we don't view those things in light of the fact that when we are in Christ, we will live forever. We are promised an eternity. So we should be thankful for eternal life. We should learn, I think, to measure today's problems in light of the grand scope of all that God has promised and all that God has done to deliver us from death. We should focus on the promises of our salvation. That is one of the things that will help us to begin to see things as we should. And to be able to give praise to God in the midst of some things that otherwise, apart from eternity, would be almost unbearable. 
There's another thing here that I think helps us. And it's in verses 5 and 6. This is one of the places that we can find thankfulness. And it's just in the everyday grace of God that we experience. Yes, we should look back to the past at what God has done. And yes, we should look forward to the future of what God has promised he will do for us. But folks, there are everyday graces and experiences that are worthy of giving thanks for. And I find this in when he just talks about food in verses 5 and 6. Even when it's not pecan pie and pumpkin pie. Even if it's prairie chicken. Hey, listen. God provides food. God continually in our lives over and over is compassionate and gracious and good and supplies what we need for the moment, for that hour. And we get too wound up trying to worry about everything out in the future. Do we have enough money in the bank? You know, what are we going to eat tomorrow? And what we need to do sometimes is just focus in and say, hey, what good is God doing today? What grace is right here before me on the plate of my life? And look at it and give thanks to God for the provision for this day. One of the things about being a Christian is we're to be a people of faith, which means that we're able to operate even when everything else looks dark and dim. And we just one step at a time trust God. You know what? I'm going to trust God for this day. The Lord's Prayer teaches us to pray Lord, give us this day our daily bread. We're worried about giving us five years worth of bread. Lord, today, would you just provide daily bread? And we need to learn to be thankful as we experience the everyday, moment by moment, grace of God in our lives. And here's the sum of the matter. Sometimes we don't feel thankful. But if you are in Christ, you have everything to look forward to and everything thing to be thankful for. Maybe you're in a season of life where things are really difficult and you're not going to sugarcoat it. You're not going to lie. You, you can't lie to yourself. I mean, you know, very difficult. Maybe you're bitter at God. Maybe you're angry. Here's what I would say to you about God. He is perfect. His teaching his wisdom, his precepts, his wisdom, his will, he is perfect. And he never gives snakes and scorpions to his children. He gives them good gifts. Even though sometimes they don't seem like it. But I think in those moments we need to just learn and remember who God is and what he's all about. And let it change and help us in our perspective you know, I, I got to tell you this story. This, I don't know why, just other than it happened. And I'm sitting there in my uh, North Campus office, which is also known as Neighbors Mill. And I was sitting there uh, doing my, my studies this week, uh, uh, drinking holy water, coffee, you know. And I'm drinking my coffee, and I've got my little notebook, and I'm studying uh, things. And I was thinking about Thanksgiving and uh, uh People sitting behind me, beware, I do eavesdrop on people at Neighbor's Mail, you know. And, and, but I'm, I'm writing my things out, and this, this family behind me, I'm hearing this, this adult guy, and he's talking to some little kids. You know, it's real loud in there, but I don't know how I even happened to tune in, actually, to hear somebody. And he says, all right, children. He says, you know, we're coming up on Christmas. And, and I didn't catch all of it, but he says, what's more important? 
Is it more important at Christmas to have God's presence in your life or presence under the tree? And all the little kids, they sound like they were four or five, and, and they give the perfect Sunday school answer, which is, Jesus! That's what they said. You know, and I was like, okay, so, so I'm thinking about, what, what is he trying to teach these kids other than you're not getting anything good for Christmas, right? Don't, don't focus on the presence. It should be the presence of God in our life. I was like, well, he's right. And, 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 and what I thought about was that, that almost shames us. Now, now, kudos to him for talking to his kids at Neighbors Mill about Jesus. I think that's great. And uh, it caused me to think about things. And uh, I was like, you know, what about the good gifts that God gives? Are they petty? Are they incidental? Do they serve any purpose at all? Are we supposed to be like those kids and go, yeah, presents don't matter. It's only Jesus. Right? See, Thanksgiving is a time where I don't think we're supposed to just say, you know, I don't care about anything in our lives. I'm just glad to have you, Jesus. Though that is important. I think that one of the things that we're meant to do is to remember that God himself is the great gift giver. And he values the gifts that he gives us. They are meant to be tokens of his love. And it would be a mistake just to focus on the gifts and forget the giver. Because ultimately, he's the greatest gift. But he doesn't devalue his gifts. I read a great article in the Gospel Co Coalition and it basically said this. We don't have to choose between the gifts and the giver. They're connected. And Thanksgiving is that time when we most clearly should be able to make that connection. So what I would say to you today is... And preaching it to myself, folks, because I hadn't been feeling it. Is that we need to stop and we need to think about all of the good things that God has done in our life. Past, future, and present. But don't just stop there. Think about how good and great and how much God loves us. Because all of his gifts we're meant to be thankful for. But ultimately, I think they are meant to help lead us to a God who is a great and compassionate and loving gift giver. That's who God is. For God so loved the world. God loved this world that he created and every person that he has created. He loved them so much that he was not content to let them languish in their sin and perish for eternity. But he sent his only son, Jesus, to come and rescue us. He didn't send Jesus to condemn us because John 3 says we're condemned already. Our sin condemns us. God sent Jesus, not to make you feel bad, but to save you for eternity. That is the God who is willing to spare no expense to give you the best gift that you could ever have, and that is life eternal. If you've not trusted Jesus as your Savior, I would say to you today, that is the greatest gift you could ever receive, is to come and be reconciled with God through His Son. He came to save you. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. And if you don't believe me, take a little time, look around, consider all 
of his mercies throughout your life and what he has done for you. And I think when we take time to do that, chill from a little bit of the busyness, take some moments to get real and think about the goodness of God. I think what you'll do is those good gifts will lead you to see really how great he is and how much he loves you. All right, let me pray for us. And then John's going to come and give us some announcements, some important things. We're going to have our birthday and, and uh, anniversary celebrations. And listen, folks, I hope, I hope that I haven't been a downer to you today. <laughs> Getting up and saying I've not been very thankful. But that's just the truth. But I tell you, I, I hope that these things, something today has maybe struck a chord in your heart. Let me just say, don't, don't ignore those things. Don't ignore those things. Do business with the Lord at the heart level, all right? Let's pray together. Father, I, I pray that you'd help me, first of all, confessing that just I had a hard heart. I don't really know why, other than maybe just busyness or self-focus or, or not taking time to, to really stop and look and see what you're doing. But today, Lord, I, I, even though I have not felt it, I know it from your word. And I know it from the fact that you sent Jesus. That you are a good, good father. Who gives so many good things. And Lord, today, I'm thankful for life. And for family. For this church family. And for the peace that you give us. I'm thankful, Lord, for this country that we live in. For this community of good people. Or for the small things, for the provision of food, even for just this day, I'm thankful. And Lord, I pray that you would shape and so mold our hearts by our practices, but also by your spirit, that we would continually be a people who are grateful. Help us to be that. Help us at First Baptist Church of Valley Springs to be a congregation of thanksgivers. Help us to be a place where gratitude and gladness and humble acceptance of your gifts abounds. Let this be a place where we can come and when our hearts are not in the right place, that you can steer and guide them and anchor them. And Lord, I pray today for any person in this room and it finds themselves much like me or maybe in a, a more difficult situation struggling and looking for answers God I pray today that you would directly minister into their hearts through your word through your son through your spirit open their eyes to see all the good that you have done for us Lord help us to leave this place with open eyes and open hearts and a gratitude, not just on our lips, but from our inner being. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.